Good evening, Dr. Daniel J. Guerra here. This is the 1st of April, 2022. Now, some people would say this is April Fool's Day, which technically that's what it is, but we don't fool around at Authentic Biochemistry. So get back into talking about diabetes, obesity, and muscle metabolism. So remember that these myokines, including interleukin-6, which we have been talking about just recently as being um, dangerous and sometimes lethal when there is a burst of interleukin-6 biosynthesis secretion. When it binds with receptor, it can induce an increase in a number of pro-inflammatory cytokines, as well as alter gene expression in such a way to overall enhance not only inflammation, but either neurodegeneration if it's in the brain or myodegeneration if it's in the muscle. So there is obviously a equipoise where interleukin-6 is synthesized primarily from contraction cycles in the skeletal muscle and where that particular myokine, IL-6, functions to maintain muscular activity. Now, it does it by a, by a, by a regeneration process, but it also continues to regulate autophagy and program cell death through a series of subdomain post-receptor mediated signaling. And we're going to try to get into a little bit of that right now. So remember we talked about sphingosine 1-phosphate. I told you that it was a very important bioactive sphingolipid and that you find it especially during an inflammatory response, both in the lymphatic system as well as in general circulation. I also mentioned to you that sphingosine 1-phosphate, as it's synthesized from sphingosine kinase 1, becomes, uh, once it's synthesized, can be exported from the cell that it was generated in, and then it will signal through, of course, sphingosine 1-phosphate receptors. So obesity and inflammation in general will enhance the synthesis of sphingosine 1-phosphate. Sphingosine 1-phosphate will bind to its receptor. Upon binding to its receptor, it will increase STAT3, which will enhance the expression in the stromal cell, such as a macrophage, of sphingosine kinase activity. Sphingosine kinase increases from the macrophage will induce, upon transcriptional regulation, the expression and then synthesis and secretion of interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha, which will then leave the macrophage and enhance metastasis from a primary tumor. 
So you can see that there's a great deal of feed forward and multiple regulatory allosteric and phosphorylation kinase cascade activity associated with the enhancement of oncogenesis, which works together with both interleukin-6 and with sphingosine-1-phosphate. This is a very important, perhaps when you first hear about it, um, complex system. Now, sphingosine-1-phosphate has uh, receptors, as I said, um, the adipose tissue, as well as in the muscle, and also, of course, in the central nervous system and in the lung. And when sphingosine-1-phosphate binds to that receptor, it can enhance cell growth, survival, and invasion of certain breast cancers. However, at the same time, sphingosine-1-phosphate can enhance immune cell trafficking, promote vascular integrity, but at the same time also promote angiogenesis. This then will lead to more cytokine and chemokine synthesis of the IL-6 family. So sphingosine kinase 1, when it's overexpressed in a breast cancer background, that expression is almost always associated with a poor patient prognosis. So speculation is everywhere about this, but it suggests that sphingosine-1-phosphate may indeed promote oncogenesis from obesity because, as I mentioned uh, last lecture, sphingosine-1-phosphate, and I also just mentioned at the beginning of this one, if you were paying attention, sphingosine-1-phosphate levels increase in an obesogenic state. So obesity enhances inflammation and that initial inflammatory response triggers sphingosine-1-phosphate biosynthesis and then subsequently pro-inflammatory cytokine production. Okay. So I talked about this axis of sphingosine kinase 1, sphingosine-1-phosphate, the product of that reaction, and then the sphingosine-1-phosphate receptor 1. There are multiple receptors. That's one axis. And that axis is the one that is activated during obesity and particularly prodromal type 2 diabetes. So what this yields at the prodromal phase is low-grade low chronic inflammatory responses, but also it promotes breast cancer because it promotes metastasis in a way I just explained to you. Okay. So interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha actually act as growth factors here for the oncogenic state. Okay. So let's get into more detail here. Obviously, what I'm saying is that obesity is associated with chronic inflammation. We've been saying that now for 22 lectures. This is the 23rd. Actually, it's the 24th. Sorry. And this is all linked to uh, the pathophysiology that is an oncogenic event that is estrogen-associated breast cancer in postmenopausal women. 
So what, what is this mechanism is the question. And so, again, I explained to you about this axis of the sphingosine kinase cascade. And it definitely generates what's known as a feed-forward amplification network or loop. And therefore, it connects obesity, pro-inflammatory response via the interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha families, and somewhat ironically, breast cancer progression and indeed metastasis. Now, that axis, that sphingosine axis, has been targeted with a sphingosine 1-phosphate mimetic known as FTY720. So this is a pharmaceutical. And when you use a mimetic sphingosine 1-phosphate, it binds to the receptor. But it also corrupts the sphingosine kinase activity. So it works directly on that triple axis, the kinase, the product, and the receptor, you see. And what's very interesting, when you use the sphingosine 1-phosphate mimetic, this compound FTY720, you also get an associated suppression of breast cancer metastasis. And you get a prolonged survival this is an animal model when you're talking about obese, high-fat diet-fed transgenic mice and syngenic orthotopic breast cancer mice. This is when they've been infused with the human immune system. Now, what is the critical role, therefore, of this axis? Well, you can say that the axis normally during this oncogenic event, especially during um, estrogen-associated breast cancer metastasis, is that you get a chronic activation of two transcription factors and of kappa B and STAT3. And those are transcription factors which are uh, that work in the, on the chromatin that will do chromosomal retailering to cause the expression of the kinase and sphingosine 1-phosphate receptor 1 at the transcriptional level, okay? And because of that, then you get a chronic pro-inflammatory cytokine burst. The two cytokines are L6 and TNF-alpha. So the animal model clearly shows that breast cancer tumors do increase and do become metastatic in a mouse model fed high fat. Now, remember what I told you. Mice metabolize lipid and metabolize carbohydrate differently than other mammals, particularly the mammal human. So a lot of these earlier studies that started really around the 2000 mark were working still with the hypothesis that high-fat diet was directly linked to obesity. Now, again, lipid biochemists such as myself have been saying since the 1980s, and before that, probably in the 70s, some people were mentioning this, I'm sure, of the lipid community, that high-fat diet in a mouse model or a rat model is not the same as a high-fat diet in humans because of the compensatory regulation 
of lipogenesis that occurs in the liver and in the kidney and the skeletal muscle and adipose in association with dietary fatty acid increase. Now, this has to do with lipoprotein metabolism and particularly the expression of the apolipoproteins, which then will help form the various lipoprotein classes, thus enhancing trafficking of lipid from adipose to liver during fasting for ketone body biosynthesis. And that ketogenesis then during a feed fast cycle in humans is different than what happens in rodents because of the rodents ability to live off of a diet, which is lower in fat and higher in carbohydrate as compared to human. So this misdirection of science has led to the American Nutritional Association and the American Medical Association to suggest that decreasing fat in the diet would um, directly decrease the propensity to gain weight and become obese, and secondarily to block the rise of type 2 diabetes. Now, it turns out people didn't necessarily take in less calories, but they took in more carbohydrate. Calorically dense food tends to have a lot of carbohydrate in it. Even if you take in high levels of protein, as you know, the amino acids can be converted to alpha keto acids and oxaloacetic acid, for example, can be used for gluconeogenesis. So there's a sparing measurement there too. Um, but also the amino acids can be converted to lipid as can carbohydrate in the diet. So actually the increase in carbohydrate with high caloric density foods for the last 25 to 30 years has been one of the major risk factors for obesity and type 2 diabetes and all these comorbidities we've been talking about, cardiovascular disease, cancer, metabolic disease. Okay? Now we're starting to get at the core of why this happens. So the NF-kappa-B model and STAT-3 model for the upregulation of the sphingosine 1-phosphate receptor 1 that was targeted by this FTY720 did indeed diminish pro-inflammatory cytokines and did indeed diminish the obesogenic state associated with type 2 diabetes. And ultimately, the obesity-associated chronic inflammatory response that led to breast cancer progression and then metastasis. Okay. This was not, however, discovered to function in the same way in the human. So... Indeed, a high-fat diet in a mouse model does increase sphingosine 1-phosphate in circulation. And it occurs in tumor-bearing and also in non-tumor-bearing animal models. Now, right with that information, it should tell you something. If indeed there was a linear relationship between high-fat diet 
and tumorigenesis, particularly breast cancer. You wouldn't expect sphingosine 1-phosphate to come up in concentration in the serum and in the lymphatic system, and that being linked either with or without a cancer background. Because indeed, if there is a direct correlation between high-fat diet and the production of sphingosine 1-phosphate, and we already been talking about the fact of sphingosine 1-phosphate because of this pro-inflammatory cytokine production, which acts as growth, growth factors for cancer, would then induce uh, an increase in the severity and the growth of the cancer leading to a metastasis. You see. So there's something else going on with, in humans that does not quite answer this question. So plasma levels of sphingosine 1-phosphate are indeed higher in obese people than in non-obese, lean individuals. So, so far, it looks like obesity is linked to the production of the sphingolipid. Now, I want to remind you that ceramide and ceramide 1-phosphate, which are in constant flux with the sphingosine metabolic pool in muscle tissue, in liver, in kidney, in lung, and even in the central nervous system, that finding an increase in sphingosine 1-phosphate in serum or lymphatic fluid in obese people, and even the binding of that lipid to its receptor may not be the actual dyslipidemic factor associated with obesity that leads to breast cancer because of the biosynthesis of ceramide. And this is what's missing in a lot of this data, okay? Now, the data that they're talking about in this 2019 paper, which is pretty recent, says that a high-fat diet induces obesity, increases sphingosine-1-phosphate, and it occurs in the primary tumor, but also in the interstitial fluid. And so this is what we call the tumor microenvironment. And that can include systemic circulation and distal sites, including the lung. So serum S1P levels from obese breast cancer patients are indeed higher than those in the normal BMI patients. So both the obese and in the normal weight in this particular discussion have breast cancer. Okay. And the suggestion was that there must be something unique between the sphingosine 1-phosphate functioning in the obese versus in the non-obese. Yet both of them progress with breast cancer. So would the linkage then be with sphingosine-1-phosphate biosynthesis via the kinase? Or would it be via the receptor 1 for sphingosine-1-phosphate? Or where my argument goes, could it be associated with the production of ceramide-ceramide-phosphate? Or indeed, complex sphingolipids, which themselves function as signaling molecules. Yeah. Also keep in mind that 
while sphingosine simply becomes phosphorylated or non-phosphorylated, ceramide can have multiple potential N-linked fatty acids. And ceraminidase can remove them, but ceramide synthase can put them back. And so depending on the pool of fatty acids via either de novo synthesis from carbohydrate, which would include palmitate, sterate, and then olease, the first monounsaturate, or dietary, linoleic, linolenic acid being elongated, desaturated to, respectively, arachidonate, 20 colon 4 omega-6, or icosapentaenoic and docosaxanoic omega-3, positional isomers. Okay. So you see how ceramide gives us more molecular species than sphingosine-1-phosphate. And sphingosine-1-phosphate, when you get a phosphatase functioning on that lipid, that sphingosine can then be acylated at the nitrogen atom, and then you pick up ceramide. Ceramide is then synthesized. You understand. So that means that an entire pool of ceramide molecular species can be produced, and if you're not monitoring them, and you're only monitoring monitoring sphingosine-1-phosphate and looking at it increase, for example, in the serum. And then you're recognizing there's a receptor in the cytokine cascade. You're missing all of the interactions going on with ceramide metabolism. That's the point I'm making here. So even before tumor cells become pre-metastatic, for example, in a distal organ such as the lung, the idea is that with high levels of sphingosine-1-phosphate, because you find it in the interstitial fluid, it's possible that there is a what they call favorable tumorigenic environment generated because of sphingosine-1-phosphate that could then enhance the metastasis of the initial clone. Okay, so this is one of the arguments they have. And they say their data supports, and, I, and the data does say this, because I've looked at it, that S1-phosphate is one of the factors secreted by the tumor cells I just mentioned. And they discovered there was an upregulation of the kinase, okay. And they find that that tumor cellular environment um, is indeed associated with sphingosine kinase overexpression, and this is linked to the breast cancer cell population. So again, they're saying that high-level sphingosine-1-phosphate promoted metastatic niche formation and then led to the metastasis they were looking at in the lung. They also explain that the receptor, sphingosine-1-phosphate receptor 1, is found in persistent activation of STAT3, which is a transcription factor, in both primary tumors and in many other cell types, including macrophages and other myeloid cell lineages. And this can occur in multiple organs because of the uptake of macrophages and resident macrophages. And this can all be in a pre-metastatic environment, but leading to metastasis from a primary 
let's say, breast tumor, or maybe from somewhere else. And, that, and they're arguing from their paper that the receptor becomes activated, and this is what drives this microenvironmental increase in metastasis from primary tumors, from breast cancer to lung cancer, for example. Yeah. So that's their argument. And they're saying that the high-fat diet-induced obese animals have this high level of kinase activity and one phosphate receptor expression, and they get the metastatic lesions, and they get the pro-inflammatory cytokines. Remember, those are IL-6 and TNF-alpha. And so they're arguing then that the animal model does fit the dynamic human cancer progression from primary breast cancer lineages. And then when they target that axis, the sphingosine 1-phosphate axis, with this compound, which is a memetic for S1P, called FTY720, and then they get this mitigation of obesity-promoted metastatic niche formation, this is why you get a decrease in breast cancer metastasis. This is, again, all in the animal model. So what they wanted to say was that they believe the animal model gives them good reason to go pharmacotherapeutic with sphingosine 1-phosphate analogs because you're going to inhibit S1P synthesis. Now, my argument is that when you do that, if you titrate that locus, because you're going to block synthesis of S1P, because you're going to feedback inhibit the activity of the kinase, but you're also going to block the receptor because this is, again, this is a mimetic. This is an organic compound mimetic of sphingosine-1-phosphate. That because of that, the sphingosine will be converted more readily to ceramide or to complex sphingolipids. Okay. could also be degraded, but that's not normally what happens when you increase the flux of sphingosine because the more important lipids are actually sphingomyelin, glucocerebrosides, galactocerebrosides, and sulfatides, as well as ceramide and ceramide in its multiple molecular forms. So, my concern about using an inhibitor of the sphingosine-1-phosphate axis would be an increase in other sphingolipid species, some of which would cause programmed cell death and or possibly trigger mutations because of the flux of the fatty acids in and out of the ceramide amide linkage, which is what we talked about previous papers with obesity and type 2 diabetes. So that's my take on this. Now, I, I don't have the, the uh, we haven't done those experiments. I haven't done those experiments. But I'm saying that once they start using, especially if, start, if uh, these sphingosine-1 kinase uh, and sphingosine-1 phosphate receptor-1 mimetics start being used in clinical trials, that there should be a measurement of ceramide metabolism and sphingolipid metabolism in conjunction with those trials. 
because I'm concerned that changing the equipoise of that sphingolipid um, axis could well lead to um, further exacerbation of the sphingosine-mediated progression, not only of the potential for oncogenic events, but also for massive necrosis due to programmed cell death. So ne necrotosis and ferritosis, which are definitely linked to ceramide. And the reason I put this cautionary tale in there is because if you don't really know your lipid metabolic pathways and you only are looking at one molecular species of a lipid in, say, a, a given, you know, de novo pathway, such as just sphingosine and sphingosine 1-phosphate, you may be either unaware or underappreciate how sphingosine is in equilibrium with ceramide and complex sphingolipid metabolism. This is something I think that needs to be analyzed. But I gave you now the paper, 2019 paper, it does suggest that sphingosine 1-phosphate is associated with breast cancer linked to obesity. Now, they didn't put together the type 2 diabetes in their paper. I was doing it while I was analyzing it for you. And then when I did the synthesis, I brought back in the lipid metabolic argument. We are going to next go, because I'm done here today, with putting that together. Sphingolipid metabolism, type 2 diabetes associated with carbohydrate and lipid metabolism, dyslipidemia in particular, and hyperglucosemia. We'll go back and look at that cancer model. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Studios on the 1st of April, 2022, saying have a good evening and bye for now.